Welcome to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith. Some cancers and some cancer treatments cause male reproductive damage, but a variety of techniques are available today that can help men preserve their ability to father children later in life. Here to explain the science behind these techniques and their importance to men and boys of all ages is Dr. Kazim Chohan, the director of Upstate's Andrology Department and leader of the Male Fertility Preservation Program, and Dr. Jody Seema, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics in Hematology and Oncology. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, we're here to talk about male reproductive damage that can happen because of cancer or cancer treatment and the techniques available to preserve the ability to father children later in life. So I'd like to have you, Dr. Chohan, explain what's available. And we should also say this isn't just for cancer patients, but there could be other um, issues that a, a man would want to preserve fertility for, right? Well, uh, majority of chemo and radiotherapies, they produce kind of a permanent to temporary damage to the sperm cells. Okay. And uh, to overcome that, uh, the best techniques available are that the patient should freeze sperm before undergoing chemo or radiotherapy. Okay. The sperm, for sperm freezing, at least two to three ejaculates should be frozen prior to chemo or radiotherapy. And uh, the other options available for the patients who cannot produce ejaculates or either freeze testicular tissue or testicular aspirations for them. And okay. these can be frozen f- for like uh, many years. And the, these are also, there are also techniques available or the procedures available for the husbands who are staying away from home from longer period of times, like they are deployed military in the military. Military deployment or... Mm-hmm. Or patients who are undergoing... Uh, Vasectomy, normally two to three years post-vasectomy, patients develop, men develop anti-sperm antibodies. It's much better for them to freeze sperm if they want to have babies in future. Later, okay, yeah. all right. Well, um, at what point do does this come up? When does a physician bring this up with a patient, Dr. Seema? Uh, sure, so that's an ongoing conversation. It's obviously a conversation you wanna have right in the beginning when a patient walks in the door. It doesn't matter if they're three months old, three years old, or 30 years old. You want to take a minute to address, will this therapy affect their fertility? Will it not? The hard part about that is, let's say the initial cancer therapy wouldn't affect their fertility. It's not going to be a big threat. You may think, oh, well, this isn't a big deal to discuss it. The problem with that is, what if that cancer comes back? And what if that cancer comes back before the effects, which Kazim talked about, you can have this temporary effect, which lots of patients get, uh, and the temporary is okay, it'll go away. But if you just finished chemo and you're still in time for temporary effect from your first treatment, and your second treatment starts, which will hurt your fertility, you may not have any chance to- And you've lost your opportunity. Right, the window is closed. So so that can be difficult. So you have a conversation in the beginning, and. And that varies. You might have a 15-year-old who is very interested in sperm banking and is able to do that. Or you may have a 15-year-old who is scared, who's just been told they had cancer, who's overwhelmed and sick. And right. they may not be able to do that. It's, and you think about the logistics of what they have to do to sperm bank, that can be a really difficult thing. So with that same patient, um, that may be a conversation that comes up again later on in life. So it's an ongoing dialogue that's different for every single patient. It's important to talk about it on day one to make sure these patients have different opportunities. And that's what Kazim and I are working on, making sure 
if that 15-year-old is unable to sperm bank, maybe a testicular biopsy while he's getting a central line place for his treatment would be something more palatable and something mm. he'd be able to do. So it's really about no matter where we are in this conversation, giving them opportunities. Okay. And what you just mentioned, um, that's is that under study? Here? So, yeah, so uh, it's uh, the procedure itself has been done for many years. And what's really interesting is many years ago for kids with leukemia, testicular biopsies were actually just part of their surveillance. Oh. So the, phys the, the surgical procedure itself, having nothing to do with fertility, was done all the time. So uh, as of uh, rec more recently in the past few years, across the country, it's coming up as a way to preserve testicular tissue. And there's a lot of cool stuff being done with that testicular tissue in the hopes that it will be able to make babies. Um, and while right now today, that may not be, uh, we may not be able to say, oh yes, I just froze your tissue, I can unfreeze it, and we can help you father a child today. Oftentimes these are young kids, and we're not looking at today, we're looking at 10 to 15 years down the line. So this really may open a lot of doors for our patients. The effect, let's say you're five and you're diagnosed with cancer, you don't remember a conversation about your fertility. When you're in follow-up care and you're so 10. a lot of those conversations are with the parents, right? Yes, yes. When you're 10, you don't care about that conversation. Right. When you're 15, most of the time you don't care about that conversation. It's when you get to be 18, 19, 20, that all of a sudden these, these young adults realize this cancer they had long ago uh, is taking something from them. And if they're infertile, that is a huge impact. And it's a big second loss. And you really see them struggle mm. with that. So if you have something to offer them, that'll help them in 15 years. It, it, uh, it's easy to forget in the beginning, but it makes a big difference. Okay. Well, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. We're talking about preserving male fertility with Drs. Kazim Chohan and Jody Seema. Dr. Chohan leads the Andrology Lab in the Male Fertility Preservation Program at Upstate, and Dr. Seema is a pediatric cancer doctor here. Dr. Seema, can you walk us through sort of how a conversation would go between you and, say, the parents of a young child facing sure. cancer? You know, so when you sit down and you're having a conversation with parents, there's an awful lot on their minds, and every parent, uh, every parent takes this a little bit differently. So when you're giving them information, it's your kid has cancer, right, and that, and that is an overwhelming piece of information. Right then at that time, different parents have a different ability to absorb the importance of fertility. You know, some parents right off the bat are concerned and they want to know, is it, are they going to be able to have babies when they grow up? Some parents just say, are they going to live till next week? Right. right. And that, right. those are both very legitimate concerns. So really all these conversations, it's important to touch on it and say, uh, either I don't expect this to make your child infertile or I do. Um, and there are some things we may or may not be able to do. Uh, based on that. And, and I think, um, you know, you it's important to give them the minimal amount of information that gets them through without overwhelming people and really addressing what's important to them. But, it, but at some point, all patients need, need that addressed. Okay. Well, Dr. Chohan, can you explain what it is? It's, it's the chemotherapy or the radiation that, that does the damage to the fertility, right? Well, both chemotherapies and radiotherapies, they can damage the germ cells in the testes. And uh, germ cells are the dividing cells, and they are most sensitive to chemo and radiotherapies. And sometimes there are multiple chemotherapies. Then okay. they become more toxic to them. In some patients, they recover 
and they start regenerating or reproducing sperm cells, but the quality of these cells is questionable. They may have some genetic impact on the future of spring. So chemo and radio both are negative, and okay. especially in whole body radi- radiation, the gentleman or the child may have no germ cells left in the testes. Okay. Well, can either of you speak to what uh, impact this f- on, on females and what services are available for females as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's interesting that you see is when you're talking about fertility in particular, males, um, testicles are a bit wimpier than ovaries, you know, mm-hmm. and it takes much less of the same chemotherapy and radiation to knock them out. Really? Um, okay. so, so it's interesting in that the ovaries tend to be a little more resilient, again, dose per dose to chemotherapy effects. What you see in the women can oftentimes be premature menopause. So while I have normal periods as a teenager and in my young 20s, uh, many women are waiting later and later to have babies. Um, It's very common now to be in your 30s and having children. Uh, That's very different than it was a few decades ago. So those women, if someone doesn't sit down and say to them, wow, you weren't infertile, that's great but your chance of having a baby at 30 is much like someone else at 40. And hey, you may hit menopause at 35. That really changes how they do life planning. And for these women, it's very important to have a conversation earlier about ovarian um, uh, preservation. And so there's different techniques as well for the women. You can take a piece of ovary, just like we do the testicle and freeze it. And there's actually been successful pregnancies from that. So you can do that for prepubertal girls as well. Um, there's some techniques that are very important where the mature egg gets stimulated and you collect eggs. It used to be that we collected eggs and then fertilized them sometimes with donor sperm or, or, uh, a, a partner sperm, something like that. Um, And it used to be that embryos, so a fertilized embryo was much easier to make a baby from than an Mm -hmm. egg. And now uh, eggs are working better and better. So uh, the embryos, uh, frozen embryos get you into a lot of legality later on. Because let's say that uh, partner you have, you think you're with forever when you're 23 and have cancer and you make babies and you freeze embryos, those are half his, and there have been many legal cases where those sure. are actually taken away. Sure. So we, we encourage egg freezing. Um, we don't yet have ovarian tissue cryopreservation, which is that taking that mm-hmm. piece of ovary and putting it in the freezer here yet. Our goal is to get the male program up and running because they are more at risk uh, before we, we run into getting the ovarian program running. And we've done a lot of groundwork, you know, to get that ovarian program growing. Uh, We're just trying to attack at one piece at a time. All right. Well, Dr. Chohan, how long, um, how long can you freeze sperm for? Yes, so there is no, uh, the cryobiology is relatively a new science and there is no kind of uh, expiry date on these samples, but I can assure you something that uh, these cells will be viable and they will be available during the reproductive life of that person. The, we have seen data from dairy industry that the semen samples frozen from bulls in 1950s, they are still producing wonderful calves. Sperm frozen yes, in frozen. the 1950s. And okay. uh, I just came through a study that a semen sample frozen in 1970s. Uh, like uh, resulted in a successful pregnancy in 2012. So I should say there is like no life limit, but at least if we say 50 years, 
there's okay. a reproductive, there's even more than reproductive life of a male. Right. So these cells will be available for, during that normal reproductive life. Is there any change or any genetic damage? Well, uh, there are two aspects I want to clear that these uh, chemo and radiotherapies, they do create, they may create genetic or chromosomal damage. But cryopreservation has not re resulted in such damage. Uh, okay. There, there, I will say there will be less and less or negligible chances of having any genetic impact on frozen samples. And they result in equal pregnancy rates, like frozen versus uh, fresh samples. You will okay. get almost equal pregnancy rates for couples. Are there any um, concerns about, I mean, how? walk me through the process. If someone has a donation and... Um, it's stored here? For uh, well, uh, we are a donor programs. We are not running donor program. It has a lot many legalities with federal government and all that. We are just doing client depositors. Or client depo okay. Yes. And uh, for that, uh, we prefer that, uh, on, that we at least get two to three ejaculates from a gentleman. Okay. So we can at least have eight to ten vials, which can be used for artificial, artificial insemination. This will be the much economical procedure for the couple. And uh, once we get the sample, we do evaluate them for the quality and the concentration of sperm. After that, we just purchase the state-of-the-art uh, equipment that it seals the frozen vials in a way that the chances of cross-contamination are not there. So it's secured so it's that secured, nobody else can. Nobody else. And uh, we, these samples are double labeled, so the identity are like all those issues are not there. Okay. Okay. And then they stay for then X they, number of years? They, they will be with us. And uh, we have an option that if a person moves to another state, mm -hmm. we'll ship their samples to the choice of uh, clinic they make. And they will be shipped by FedEx to that place. And, it's just and it, it can be shipped within the United States or even overseas. Okay. Wherever, wherever they want to have their fertility treatment in future. Neat. Okay. Well, what other things are on the horizon in terms of this field? Is there... Uh, well, uh, in, in, uh, in the science of andrology, uh, it's much more moving towards uh, genetics. Mm. And in assisted reproduction, we want to have like uh, successful pregnancies. And science is more moving towards pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. And uh, if you have gone through like a recent report this week, even there are talks about gene editings to have right. successful right. normal babies. So this is, uh, science is more to moving towards reprogenetics, where reprodu Repro assisted genetics. reproduction okay. and genetics will be combined together to have healthy babies. Interesting. Okay. Well, thank you. I want to thank both of you for speaking with me about preserving future fatherhood. We've been listening to Dr. Kazim Chohan, the director of the Male Fertility Preservation Program, and Dr. Jody Seema, a pediatric cancer doctor on Upstate's HealthLink on Air.